Father, we do lay down our lives to you this morning. We come to this place to see you, to hear from you. So, Father, may we have pure hands and a clean heart this morning. And may your spirit change us and make us more like Christ. Father, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Bible in Isaiah chapter 35, there's a messianic prophecy that is given regarding the Messiah, beginning in verse 6. And it's prophetic. It's given, it says, Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With recompense of God, He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Acts chapter 3. That was a beautiful day for that man, that beggar, that blind man. I said that blind man, he's actually conceived, but there were many who were lame. There were several who had disabilities, but for this man, it was a beautiful day. Last week, we had a beautiful day. We saw uh, nearly 25 people baptized. Hundreds of people walked across the bridge symbolically reaffirming their commitment to the mission and the vision of Rock Point Church. Uh, hundreds of names given of people who are being prayed for that will uh, hopefully come to Christ and hear the good news of Jesus Christ. It was a beautiful day on in multiple ways as we recognize what God has done these past 12 years. And as we think about beautiful days, I believe God has many more in store for us. As we look at this text, it's a picture of a beautiful day of a beautiful day at church. It's their first month of church, so to speak. The first church. As a matter of fact, in chapter three, we'll see Peter's second sermon. He's just preached his first sermon in Acts chapter two. And then after this story, he will preach his second sermon. <clears throat> It's a beautiful day. There's a story that I love that many of you are maybe familiar with called Team Hoyt. It's about a father and a son, Richard and Rick Hoyt. <clears throat> and Rick Hoyt was born with cerebral palsy. He was born with uh, the, his cord wrapped around his neck so tightly that it cut off the flow of oxygen to, to his brain. And so when he was born, the doctors told his parents, look, <clears throat> there's nothing we can really do for him you might want to consider uh, having him institutionalized. He'll never really be able to respond. He'll never be able to talk. He'll never be able to walk. He'll never be able to do anything. We're not even sure he will even recognize voices or hear sounds. So there's not much of a future for Rick. We want to be very honest and very straightforward with you. But his parents said, no, we're not going to institutionalize him. And so they kept him. And... They raised him, and they began to realize that his eyes would focus when they would visit with him. 
His mother literally taught him the alphabet with sandpaper because he couldn't talk. Uh, he couldn't, he didn't have a lot of range of motion, but she would take sandpaper and rub it on his fingers and she taught him the alphabet. And by age 11, they had invented a device, a computer that they hooked up to his body that enabled him to communicate to them. He was then able to go to school and finished high school and then went on to Boston College and graduated there. But when he was about 15 or 16 years old, he heard about a young man in his neighborhood who had been playing lacrosse and who had been in an injury and had become permanently paralyzed. The, the community was doing a run for him, and so it was a race, and so they were trying to defray medical expenses and do a run in his honor. And Rick, through his computer, com he communicated to his father, Richard, I'd like to run in that race. <clears throat> his father thought at first, well, how can you run that race? Dad, can you help me run in this race? So his dad agreed, and so they got him a wheelchair, and they ran in that race. It was a five-mile race. Uh, a lot of people came up to him before they started and said, so are you just going to go down and in the street? He goes, no, we're going to try to finish it. And so by the time it was all over, they had run the entire race. They came back that night, and through the process of the computer, Rick told his father and his mother and said, can we do that again? When we run, it feels like... I'm not disabled. It feels like I've been given a taste of a new life, of a beautiful life. So they began to run races. It wasn't long before they began to do triathlons. And to this date, I believe they've done 46 triathlons. And you go, how do they do 46 triathlons? Well, this is how they do it. <clears throat> the father, Richard, swims with a boat behind him and he makes that swim often in ocean waters and then on a bike they have a seat placed right in front of the bike and they and he uh, takes him on the bike ride and then at the end he pushes him in a special made wheelchair they've done the Ironman many of you are familiar with the Ironman they've done the Ironman six times which is amazing 100 mile race and because Rick could not swim, his father pulled him. Because Rick could not bike, his father carried him. And because Rick could not run, his father pushed him. What a wonderful father. And what a wonderful father we have. A father who sometimes pushes us. A father who sometimes pulls us, and a father, when necessary, carries us. A beautiful picture of God's love for his children and God's love for us. We'll look at our text here today, and we'll see a man who is lame, cannot walk, he's a beggar, He's a fixture in this community. There's little hope for him. He's a Jew, but he's an outcast. He can't come into the temple proper. He's just at the gates of the Gentiles. And he thinks that the best thing that could ever happen to me is someone might give me 
a fairly decent-sized sum of money. That's the best thing that could ever happen to me, or so he believes. What does he want? He simply wants money. Money to make it to the next day. Maybe money to make it to the next week. Maybe enough money to make it for a month. And the ultimate dream would be, what if I had enough money that lasted me a year? What does he want? He wants less than what is available to him. Because we're going to see a miracle. He thinks a miracle would be, what if someone gave me enough money that paid for my expenses, my ability to live for a year? That would be a miracle. But he's going to get far more. And it's interesting. I want us to think about this before we dive into this text. Do you ever wonder why Jesus didn't do miracles like right in the sky? I want to show you that I'm the Son of God. Okay? With his fingers. I am the Son of God. I want to show you that I'm the Son of God. So I'm going to fly. Can you fly around the room? I'm super Jesus. Why why didn't he do that? And then everybody could believe. I, I saw him right in the sky. I saw him flying around. That was long before flying was ever invented. Why didn't Jesus just do that? You know what's interesting about the miracles of Jesus? If you go back and you read in the New Testament, you look at all the miracles. You know what every one of his miracles were? They were all restoration miracles. They were all miracles that were done that restored people to the way God intended them to be. The way that they would be for eternity when God creates a new heaven and a new earth. They were all miracles that placed people in the position that God desired when He first created the earth. Before sin came and disease came upon the earth. He's giving them an understanding. This is what eternity is going to look like for those who know me. For those who call me Lord, who have received salvation. One day there will be a new heaven and I'll create a new earth and all things will be right. No more pain, no more sickness, no more death, no more blindness, no more lameness. Like right now, I'm having a hard time seeing some of you because my eyes aren't so great and it's kind of dark in here, okay? So it's difficult for me sometimes when I try to read. But one day, I'm not going to have to pretend like I don't need glasses anymore. Neither will you. There are certain parts of my body when I walk that, that hurt. And one day, that's going to be gone. Everyone in here, over the age of 40 anyway... To talk about some pain that you experience or endure or that you medicate and just don't feel right now, okay? Some deficiency. Maybe it's that you can't run like you used to. And you think you can, but you can't. Maybe you don't have the stamina. Can you believe that one day all things are going to be made new? And these are the miracles that we see Jesus performing, giving us a taste of what the future would like, giving us an understanding of how God desires that mankind would be in His perfect plan, in His perfect image, in His perfect future. So we really don't see miracles as we think of them. It's simply God restoring things to the state in which He intends. Pretty amazing when you stop and think about it. 
let's look at our text. As we talked about last week, you see this theme. You see an event will occur in the book of Acts. And then an explanation of the event will be given. The gospel is shared and then a call for repentance. We saw that in chapter 2 and chapter 3. We'll see it continually through the book of Acts. Beginning with chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. The ninth hour. Now let's stop right there. The ninth hour. What is the ninth hour? Well, Jews use a calendar. Their understanding of a day is basically it started at 6 a.m. So it would start at 6 a.m. And that's where they would calendar the day. That's how they would understand the day. So the sixth hour uh, is what? The sixth hour is going to be noon. The ninth, the twelfth hour, or excuse me, the ninth hour that's described here is going to be 3 p.m. There were three times that they were called to pray. Uh, they were pr- called to pray at 9, 12, and 3. This is the third time. This is also the time where uh, the daily sacrifices are offered. So this is the time where most people are coming to their time of prayer. And that's certainly where John and Peter are going. Even though they are followers of Christ, they're still going to the temple. They're still faithful to pray. And the Bible says, And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. So this man is placed at the temple gates, the beautiful gate, which is probably the gate between the court of the Gentiles and the court of women. And it's, it's by some accounts was made of Corinthian brass. It took 20 men to open and close this gate. And so if you were a beggar, there were three principal places or primary places that you might want to beg. One would be in front of the home of a wealthy man. We see that in Luke chapter 16. Uh, We see that with Ruth uh, at Boaz's field. You might go to someone's home or field that's very wealthy and hope to glean or to uh, receive some kind of alms. The second place you might go is a main thoroughfare where there were hundreds and hundreds of people that would walk by you each day. But perhaps the best place was at the temple gates because people were bringing their offerings. <clears throat> and it's part of, one of the things that people, t- to help with, with their alms, to, to give to the poor as well. So on the way to bring their offering, they might feel more compelled, more compassionate to give. And so it was a great place to be if you were going to beg. And it appears that this man was there every day that family or friends brought him and placed him there each day to beg for money. I remember when I was in seminary, my first year over at Southwestern in Fort Worth. Uh, I didn't have a church at the time. I was looking around for churches, and I would leave in the morning, and uh, I remember seeing these people who would beg uh, on the corner of I-35 and Seminary Drive. And I would drive by there, and I would see them every Sunday morning, and uh, the, the second Sunday, I just thought, i I got to do something. So I remember getting out and going and visiting, <clears throat> and visiting with a guy. And we talked for a little while. And from that point on, for the next several Sundays, I would do that. I was a single single guy with no sense anyway. And uh, it was Sunday morning. I was on my way to church. I couldn't get over the story of the Good Samaritan. And I thought, I'm on my way to church in my nice little clothes. 
and nobody cares if I'm coming right now anyway, uh, and I'm in seminary. So I, I decided that's what I was going to do. So I'd leave about 15 or 20 minutes early every Sunday morning, and I, I would go by and I'd visit. And I got to know three or four different people. And it was interesting. I remember uh, one guy, we'll call him John. Uh, John was always out there. Uh, John knew scripture. We would talk and read. And John, uh, I'm not sure what his case was, but he was very open. He would let me buy him coffee and a hamburger, donuts, whatever I would bring. And we would visit for a few minutes, and he'd say, i got to go back to work. And I asked him one time, John, why do you keep doing this? He goes, well, this is what I know. This is what I do. So, John, I think I could help you get into shelter and get a job. He goes, you know what? This is, this, I'm good. This is what I do. I'm good right here. Thank you for your help. I might, I'll consider that. And another guy, we'll call him Bob. Bob, I'm pretty sure was on something, because Bob would never take my food. Maybe take some coffee. He wouldn't take any money. He goes, I, he goes man, I, I don't trust that McDonald's there. They'll poison you. So I said, well, what about the Burger King? They'll poison you too. What about the IHOP? They'll poison you. What about the Kroger? They'll poison you. And I go, John, you're not going to let me buy you any food. Nope. You can just give me the money. Nope. And I said, I'll bring you some coffee. You sure that's not poison? No, it's probably all right. And so <clears throat> we'd drink some coffee, and he would didn't have much to say. And it was obvious what John was doing. I met a couple other folks. One of them was a lady who had a dog and had been in shelter and had obviously been through a lot of abuse and finally found her way out. There, there were some that were looking for their way out. And there were some that they adopted that as their lifestyle because this is easy. And there were some because there was no way they were going to be able to get what they wanted. You can't say that every, every person who's down and out is the same. They all had a different story. They all had a, a different situation. I know this man's story was he couldn't walk and there was no social security. There were no disability programs at that time. It was your family. And if your family couldn't do it, you were left upon the streets to beg. This was his program, so to speak. This was his life. He didn't see it ever changing. He didn't see his hope ever giving a substantial return. So he sits at this gate where he's most likely to receive alms. He's most likely to receive money. And he thinks this is the most important thing I could ever get. Money to live another day. And seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asks to receive alms. Now what's interesting, this is the same temple that Jesus has been in multiple times. He's probably, at a minimum, heard the teachings of Jesus. If he's not heard them, he's heard of them if he's been sitting here each day. He's probably overheard them. He's probably seen the crowds, but he's lame. And he can't get to Jesus. But he's heard that maybe he's the one. He's the prophet. He's the one the prophets have prophesied about. He might be the Yeshua HaMessiah, Jesus the Messiah, the promised one. He thinks... But then he hears Jesus has been killed. He didn't get to go see it because he was in his place. He couldn't walk. And he probably thinks, yet another Messiah, another one who's come and claimed that he would deliver us. And doesn't seem to matter much to me. I'm just still here. Seeing in Peter and John about to go in the temple, he simply asked for alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him as did John, and he said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them. 
expecting to receive something from them. Peter said, I have no silver, I have no gold, but what I do have, I give to you. I'm not here to give you money. I know you have an expectancy for that, but let me share something else with you. Let me give you something else. And then we see the miracle occur. The Bible says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. You know, it's interesting. This man is not expecting a miracle. He's expecting some other source of relief. He doesn't believe Peter and John have this power through the name of Jesus Christ. But yet he is healed. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. If you went back and reread the passage that we initially read in Isaiah chapter 35, beginning with the third verse, it speaks of how their legs would be made strong. This miracle is instantaneous. Some miracles might be progressive, but this miracle, a man who has never walked, a man whose muscles have never been taught to move, is able to immediately stand and walk. He didn't have to learn to walk like you and I had to walk. That's part of the miracle. And he took him by the right hand and he raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, just like verse 6 of Isaiah 35 suggests. <coughs> Excuse me. And so he continues here. And it says that he leaps up and he stood and began to walk and he entered the temple. It's the first thing that he does. He's been standing there to receive money, but now he's going to give. And the Bible says that he walks into the temple leaping and praising God. He's giving honor. He's giving praise. He's giving glory. He's leaping and praising God. He knows that the miracle is from God, that the gift that he's been given, far more than he could hope or imagine or ask, has been given to him. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. They see the testimony of one who was lame since birth. We see in chapter 4 that even the Jewish leaders know that this man was lame since birth. But now he walks and he's praising God. And they recognized him as the one who had sat by the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. They're amazed. They're in a state of wonder to hear Jesus. Peter speaks in verse 11. He says, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's colony. Now, what's interesting, if you go back to John chapter 10, look at verse 22, 23, 24, right there, you see Jesus in the same exact spot. And in John chapter 10, the people, the leaders are coming to him and they're asking, are you the Christ? Are you the Son of God? Are you the promised one? And he answers them and the Bible says that they're going to pick up stones to kill him. 
And he asked him, for what miracle are you going to kill me for? For what healing? For what blessing are you going to kill me? And they say, they don't discount those. But they're so focused on the way they think things should be. And that Jesus doesn't fit the, he doesn't fit the model or the He's not the militaristic leader. He's with the commoners. He's with the people and he's threatening their positions. He's threatening their status. And they're so consumed with silver and gold, so to speak, that they're missing the big miracle. Peter said, hey, why are you so amazed at this? Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. It's Jesus who's given this to be the ability for this occurred. It's Jesus who's brought about this miracle. It's Jesus. In the name of Jesus, they are speaking. They are performing miracles in His authority, in His power. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murder, speaking of Barabbas, to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life. This is a term of deity. The one who started life. You killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To him we are witnesses. We are witnesses of the resurrection. Why do you think we stand here? Why do you think we have this power? And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith faith that is through Jesus has given the man the perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer and thus be fulfilled. It's interesting that he uses the word that his Christ would suffer. There were many who came and claimed to be the promised one, the Messiah. We go back and we read history. But there's a couple of things. First of all, there weren't any that came and claimed to be Jesus of Nazareth. That word Jesus in the Hebrew, Yahshua, or Yashua in the Hebrew, it means the Lord saves, the name we get Joshua from. When we translate it to Greek, we have the word Yahshua, or we have the word that we know now Jesus, that we've transliterated to Jesus. Eus. Eus, or Jesus, as we translate it to the Greek. The name that we call Jesus, that we call our Savior. Some would say, shouldn't we call him by his original name, the Hebrew name? Well, first of all, it was Aramaic. Uh, secondly, we don't call God Theos. Now, we call him God. It's our language. Jesus, the name Jesus. He is the Christ, the anointed one, the one in whom the prophecies are fulfilling. This is the messianic age, and he's giving proof, not only that he has 
died and suffered and resurrected, that he lives now, but he continues to live. And the miracles continue to be performed in his name. That his message, the kingdom of God, has been ushered in. The Christ, the Christ, his Christ. And he said, remember the prophecies that he would suffer and thus be fulfilled? He's done that. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out and forgiven and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That word refreshing. Remember how we stated earlier that all the miracles are miracles of restoration, of putting things back in the order God ultimately intends for them to be? That's what that word refreshing means. It's the restoration of the kingdom. It's the refreshing of mankind. That the kingdom of God is here, and then it's coming upon mankind. The times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord that He may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Have you received Jesus today? So what do we do with this text? What should we glean from this text? I'll give you a few things. First, we should expect the power of the Holy Spirit to work today in our lives, in the lives of our church. Peter chastised them for not recognizing that the Spirit of God was there this year. Do you believe that people will come to Christ? Do you believe people that you pray for, that God will work in and through their lives? This year, do you believe that marriages and families will be put back together? Do you believe that the Holy Spirit will work? Believe. Expect. Number two, promote healing. Pray for healing. There are some who have been miraculously healed in our congregation. There are some who have passed on to be with the Lord, who are in that time of full restoration. But while we are here, we promote healing through justice. We promote healing for those who cannot help themselves as we do our Feed the Hunger program. For those who are on the streets and are willing to participate and willing to take a step forward through men of Nehemiah, through Cornerstone Ministries, as we promote it through our single parent ministry and divorce care, we want to promote healing. God might be calling you to be a part of that healing process. We want to celebrate what God has done. Celebrate the blessings. Celebrate the hard times that God uses for us to minister. Celebrate the opportunities that are before us. Celebrate what He's done and what He will do. We want to recognize the wonder and the mystery as we receive communion today. Through His death, burial, and resurrection, we remember and we recognize. Baptism, as we recognize that people were dead in their sins but have come to life by the grace of God the gospel. Share the good news. It's exactly what Peter does each time. The miracle happens. He explains the event. He shares the gospel. And then he encourages people to respond to the gospel. What is the gospel? It's real simply this. Jesus Christ lived the life that you and I should have lived and he died the death that we should have died. The gospel is this. That we are more sinful and more uh, decrepit, more degenerate 
than we ever imagined. We're not, none of us are really that good. We think, I'm a good guy, I'm a good... The Bible says, no, none of us are righteous, not one. But the good news is, is that we are more loved and more forgiven than we could have ever hoped or imagined. More grace has been poured out through the mercies of the cross than we could have ever have told for. Grace and mercy that covers all of our sin, that a perfect and holy God could see us and say, cleansed, forgiven, because the righteous has taken upon our sin and given us His righteousness. That's the message of the gospel. And at the end of this service, we're going to have the opportunity for you to receive prayer at each of these corners. There are going to be people here that you can come and receive prayer at any point, uh, either after communion, during communion, right after, after the offering, after the service. There are going to be people who would love to pray with you Maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, I need hope. I find myself thinking, God, I don't know that you can do more than help me get a little more money. Can I tell you, God has so much more for you that he wants to accomplish. So much more that he wants to do. He wants us to hear the good news. He wants us to know the good news. And he wants us to share the good news. Remember the story I told you about at the beginning of the service about the man and his son, the boy who couldn't walk himself, so his father pushed him. The boy who couldn't swim himself, so his father pulled him. The boy who could not ride himself, so his father carried him. That's a picture of what God wants to do for you today. For some of you, you need a push. And God's giving you that nudge. It's time to get involved. It's time to say, yes, what is the need before me? I will be a part of it. Feed the hunger is about to start back up. That's a great place to start. There's plenty of ministry needs right here in our own church that you can be a part of. Some of you need to receive and feel the push of the Spirit today. For some of you, you need to pull. You're stuck a little bit. And you need somebody to just pull you out of it. Take a step and say, you know what? Pray for me today. I need the Spirit to pull me because I don't feel like I can do it on my own. And some of you are in a desperate place today. The pain is difficult and the oppression is so heavy that God needs to carry you right now. The Spirit of God needs to swoop you up in His arms and carry you. I want to invite you to come and allow us to pray over you. Because this is the time that you need to be carried. But I want you to know that we serve a God who pushes and pulls and carries if necessary. I want to end this video. If you will watch it, I think it's a beautiful rendition of the heart of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a picture of our status that we are lame in our sins with no ability to change our situation. But He who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. That if we would put our trust in You and what You have done upon the cross through the death, burial, and resurrection, Lord, we might receive grace and forgiveness. That the God of the universe would pull us, would push us, and carry us when necessary. 
because our sin was so great, all we could hope for was this life. Silver and gold, but Lord, you have offered us complete restoration for eternity. The removal of sin, the gift of salvation. Lord, if there's one here today that has not received that gift, I pray that today would be the day that they would say, God, I believe. I give my life to you. I recognize that you've lived the life that I should have lived and you've died the death that I should have died. Come into my life and save me. I put my trust in you.